A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the True Detective Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to the weirdness of the long night. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage for Season 4, Episode 5 of True Detective Night Country on HBO Max. We're going to start off this podcast with our hot takes, and then we're going to get right into a scene-by-scene breakdown of the episode, followed by listener feedback. David, it's so cold you can't dig graves. I don't know if we can call them hot takes. <laughs> we're gonna serve them up cold, frozen for you. We're gonna mm. just we're gonna throw them in the trash. There we're you not go. even gonna cook them. There you go. Right. As a reminder, we do have press screeners for the season, so we're gonna post these podcasts right after the episodes air. This week it's early, so you're getting yes. this on Friday, as you did with the episode since the Super Bowl's on Sunday. Uh, but just remember that we want to enjoy the mystery of the show along with you. So we're only recording one episode ahead. We have not watched episode six. Episode six will drop Sunday, February 18th at 10 p.m. right after the episode. So be sure to get your feedback in. Send your emails to truedetective at thelorehounds.com or head over to the contact page on our website and there... We've got a form, or you can use the voicemail feature. Either one is great. We love voicemails. Also, uh, we've got a Discord. We've got separate channels for each of the different episodes, and we're doing live chats when the episode airs. So starting at around 9 p.m. Eastern, you can jump into a special channel where there's other people who are doing second screen, and we're having fun and, and talking about the episode as it's airing. So if that sounds fun... Check out the links in the show notes. There's all the links for the all the things are there. A quick note about our Patreon. Subscribers get early and ad-free access to all of our podcasts, but they also get special access to our customized detective's notebook. David, you've put out this excellent detective notebook on the interwebs, and you're, you've been sharing the link among the patrons so that they can enjoy all your clue gathering, all your yarn Draw, you know, yes, yarn yes, stringing my, and my virtual red yarn board. You are Charlie Day, and it's always yes. sunny in Philadelphia with your board, and it, it's great. It's very easy to follow, and helps me even when I'm trying to remember who people are because a lot yeah. of people on the show, especially especially the character guide. That's a, that's a big help. Although I've noticed that in the last couple of episodes, the clue ratio is dis, you know we're getting less and less clues, and we're because we're, yeah. we're moving the plot forward. Fewer, but sorry, fewer. I mean, Stannis Baratheon. 
<laughs> it's quite all right. Thank you. Uh, but thank you to everyone who's been sending in some stuff. I got a couple of submissions from from some folks as well. So that's been fun. That it's kind of become a community um, uh, input as well. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, I I will also make another note about our Patreon. We got a lot of subscribers recently. Thank you to everyone who's come in, who's been checking this out. It's great to have you here. Uh, I know that it's getting close to the end of the season. So I just thought I would make a small suggestion that if you want, you could consider an annual subscription. It starts about as like $30. And then you're just good for the year and that supports us and makes us feel good because we always are sad when people leave. But, you know, people come and go and that's totally all part of it. But we can talk more about the Patreon at the end of the podcast with our upcoming programming schedule as well. Cool. David, I think it's time that we talk about our hot takes for the episode. This says spoiler free here. I'm taking that out. We're doing full spoilers. Oh, that's the old notes. Those are the old notes. Uh, You didn't ask the right questions. No, You didn't ask the right questions (laughs) on this outline. Is this the right outline? Did I actually? (laughs) So what'd you think? What'd you think? Yeah, I like, uh, first of all, by the way, in the outline, now you've crossed out spoiler. So now they're just free hot takes. (laughs) Free. We're giving them away for free. Uh, That's what we do here at the Lorehounds. We're just serving up the hot takes fresh from our truck. Our big, you know, our, our food truck. You know, I'm going to just kill this metaphor. Just move on with my hot takes. Okay. Um, I was confused by this episode when I first watched it. Mm-hmm. And up until the end, I was kind of going, I kind of hate this episode. This is really, it, it's such a whiplash from the end of episode four. And mm-hmm. I, I was just kind of like what what's going on here i i will say that after doing the second watch and doing the outline i i am less angry at the show <laughs> but i am worried that the fandom well i don't know whatever the 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 toxic people on red on uh, reddit are gonna don't worry about them they'll be fine about this i'm sure they'll be fine you know isa lopez is fine she's a great director i'm really looking forward to seeing her career uh, develop. But yeah, it's, I just, I'm worried that people are going to feel the, you know, the whiplash of, of really going from that hard supernatural ending at four to this very normal police procedural corruption, you know, turns over a family and, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of cops do some stupid stuff and now they're in the shit. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, like I said, I, I I'm less miffed at the episode now. I think the one thing that I'm really stuck on though is is that it is six. We do jump six days ahead because Hank says when he goes over to Liz's house, we well, you know, like I don't want to be over here on Christmas Eve when before it was you know Christmas Day basically when we were doing the, the last stuff. New Year's Eve, you mean? Sorry, yeah, New Year's said, Eve. I yeah, apologize. Yeah, yeah. 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 I um, didn't go back in time a day. No, no. Doctor Who. This is not timey wimey. <laughs> the fact that Navarro basically has no physical injuries after she got the stuffing beat out of her really annoys me. It's a little detail, but you know she should be aching and she should have some bruises. I mean, those bruises will develop over six days. She her face should look like you know yeah. pretty rough. Yeah. So that annoyed me. And then the fact that they don't address what happened at the end of four with her vision and her bleeding eardrum. That really annoyed me. 
And yeah, I think I think that would be my my one lingering issue. Mm-hmm. The other things don't bother me as much, but the the lack of discussion of like, hey, wasn't that crazy how you were just like <laughs> there on the floor and yeah, you, you were unresponsive. Yeah. Uh yeah, that's that's uh I mean like I don't understand that we skipped a few days and maybe there's a conversation we didn't see. And you know what? Maybe they'll flash back to that conversation and have us figure something out, or maybe they'll mention in the next one, hey, remember when this happened? Right. Uh but but uh it was a lack of closure. Then yeah. again, we have another episode. So yeah. Yeah. And and so I'm just kind of okay. Now, that said, all of those little, you know, uh, they're not little nitpicks. I mean, I, I think they're kind of kind of important details. That said, this ending was a real banger of an ending, literally. And I love the culmination of it. I mean, the Hank has nothing left to lose. The, the coming apart between him and Peter... The fact that Peter is now fully in, you know, she's been fully Danverized. You know, she's not he's not a freshman anymore. He's he's definitely moved up a, a grade or two here with his uh, malfeasance. It uh, that was all great. And so, you know, the show is still the acting is great. The the production and sound is all of that stuff is still really good. I just was confused about the, the plot of this thing. I will mention th- something, too, and, and not in our discord or, or in any of our feedback, everybody seems to be enjoying the show, but I did read in some places that some people are, they're not happy with the dialogue. And what's interesting is I think the dialogue in this show is some of the most natural, normal human dialogue that I've seen on a television show. It's not, you know, uh, mm-hmm. extemporaneous talk and it's not super flowery talk or, you know, really well-written lines. This is how people argue. This is yeah. how people yeah. say, you know, they they repeat things over and over again. They 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 give up, they get frustrated, they walk away. So that reality that she's giving us in the dialogue is really interesting and kind of refreshing in a number of ways. I agree with that. I think there's one scene that I thought the dialogue was a little contrived, but other than that, I thought it was overall very realistic. Yeah. So what did you think about the episode? I know we traded messages when <laughs> after we both had finished it in our, our respective uh, yeah, watches. Yeah. I I watched it pretty much right after we recorded last week, I think. Yeah. Maybe maybe the following morning. I don't remember. I think it was the following morning because I because yeah. I watched it that night. Okay. So I watched it pretty soon after we recorded. And I think part of my whiplash with it was the fact that we had just spent two and a half hours talking about the previous episode (laughs) and we had really leaned into the supernatural because that episode leans into the supernatural. Yes. And so going into this episode and having a largely, like you said, routine cop drama felt like a step back. Yeah, exactly. It felt like, okay, we were heading somewhere and now we're on a detour. I kind of almost miss it. Like it was like a blanket, like a, I was kind of cozy in the supernatural. And then suddenly you took the blanket off and now I'm cold. Right. You know, I'm like, wait, it's wait a minute. Get I cold just, around here. It, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I, it felt like a little bit of a step back to me, but then on rewatch, I noticed there was a lot of supernatural interwoven. Mm-hmm. Like you have Otis saying he sh- she is awake. That's what the guy heard. And mm-hmm. Liz has the flashback to her hearing that in her, spooky dreams or whatever uh you have you know rose rescuing navarro out of her trance going into the ice right you have 
you know, all the mentions of like, I don't want to talk about this, what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's fine if the if the next episode is going to be let's resolve all the supernatural shit Mm -hmm. with a taste of will anyone face consequences for their legal problems like you know uh, i i think Murdering that those a are the police officer sure and you know faking a murder suicide yeah but those are the two hanging legal things and and uh you know realism things but most of what we have left to resolve are wh- who is she who is awake yep. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how did these people die right and that's going to be all supernatural so I guess if I'm being generous, maybe Issa Lopez wanted to tee up all the routine stuff, all the cop drama stuff in this episode and wrap up all the supernatural stuff next episode. Mm. But that's all speculation because we haven't seen it. Right. And we don't know her as a director very well. Like we haven't watched three or four different shows that she's produced or something. So we don't really have a a thumbprint for her. I was really thinking that this episode was going to be picking up speed and it wasn't, it was largely pretty slow right until the end. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I I have been a little nervous and a a few folks in the discord were, were getting a little nervous as well. There's a lot of detail out there still, Mm -hmm. you know, how they, like you were saying, how they died. How did Annie K die? We learned one thing today about where, how her body got there, but Clark, Salal, Mm-hmm. Uh, Blair of uh, the two fingers, you know, the crabs, Sedna. There's like a lot. Yeah. And I just hope that she brings it all together. I'm, I'm really putting, I'm, I'm really conscious of my trust in her that, okay, <laughs> you yeah. know, let's, yeah. let's, let's wrap this up because it's a lot. And I really want the show to be a success. I really want to have enjoyed it. I want oh, to really too. be able to me look too. back and, you know, in December and go, yeah, that was a, a great way to start the year of television. Yeah. You know, this, this HBO Sunday night prestige time slot they have. Hello uh, on last Friday. year we had, we had, uh, <laughs> was that? I said hello on Friday. Yes. <laughs> hello Friday people. Uh, you know, last year we had the last of us and, and in the previous years, HBO has had this great Sunday night slot in this, in January and February. So I, I really want this to be another solid win for, for pre- prestige television, you know? Agreed. And I want to end on a positive note. I, I did really like the episode on rewatch. Okay. I, it aged well for me. That's good. I think part of it is I didn't have the expectation of going down the supernatural rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So I was more cognizant of the details that were just straight up human drama. And they were exactly. good. They did a good job at all those things. So I think overall, it's a successful episode at what it's trying to do. I think both of our problem is that we don't agree with what it was trying to do, but that's <laughs> right, okay. Right. That's okay. Yeah. It's not our show. Right. So hopefully the finale is satisfying to everyone and we all feel like everything was answered in a satisfying way. That's the dream. That's the dream. All right, David, shall we do some quick notes before we get into our spoilery scene by scene recap? Yeah. I just wanted to call out that, uh, episode six, we're going to do, so, you know, get your feedback in from five and we'll put that in six, but we're going to do a feedback episode. We're going to do a season wrap up about a week later. 
So be prepared to get feedback in after you see six and we'll just do a whole dedicated podcast wrapping up the season and answering everybody's feedback. So hopefully we'll get a, a bumper crop of, of emails and such not. Um, I wanted to shout out to the official podcast, especially this week. It had some really great insights into the characters, into Danvers and Navarro's characters. As well, they spoke with the cinematographer and the sound designer. And that was some really great insights into the way that they've been constructing this whole season and um, how much care and consideration that they've actually put into the design of this show. So very cool. They also dig into a little bit of Arctic uh, Inupiat um, mythology, and they specifically talk about Sedna. And they talk to a gentleman, mm. um, from an Inupiat gentleman, who talks about mythology and the, and the role that these stories, these ancient stories play in the lives of, of people and the not only the functional aspect of it, but also the cultural aspect of the importance of that stuff. So really good episode this week. Oh, very um, cool. Just to shout out a couple of things on the, the Discord, people have been talking about theories about Danvers, how she lost Jake and Holden. Was she driving drunk? Is that, you know, is that why she, mm. Danvers said, like, don't judge me to, to Connolly? So uh, if you've got theories on that or you want to share, definitely uh, get in on the on the Discord chat, as well as the Blair theory. Somebody today was asking, I forgot who it was, was asking, you know, like, hey, we haven't seen Blair. And I was like, oh, mm. <laughs> you know, it's like I had to do the zipper mouth emoji because uh, I knew too much. Mm. So, um, mm. But I think we should keep those things alive for episode six. I'm All right. That's it. it. All right. Let's move into the scene by scene recap. Uh, some of these descriptions are combined to make it easier to discuss. So if you hear some scene allusions, it is on purpose. Here's the cold open. We watch as Julia's remains are cremated, collected, and given to Evangeline. This, I think, this is where I, I really started to get confused on the episode. Mm -hmm. Because there's Evangeline looking perfectly healthy. And... and, and you don't cremate somebody the next day, generally, right? There's right. paperwork to be done. Right. Did we miss a... You know what? I wonder, because our screeners do have very specific uh, uh, notes that VFX work wasn't done. So I wonder if we're missing some title cards or something on our episode. I don't think say, so, because I think it just says on episode six, they're not done. Okay. okay. I'll double check, but I'm pretty sure that's what it says. It'll be interesting to see when the episode airs if they if they say, you know, oh, January 31st or something like that. I don't know. I think that's why they put that thing that you mentioned with Hank. You're right. I think that's the why they why they said, oh, well, okay. six days later. Um, but yeah, I think they just put you in cold. Maybe maybe there is, though. I don't know. We'll see. I, I remember in Foundation, I could have sworn that there should have been voiceovers because we were watching I know, screeners and there wasn't. So <laughs> we literally had a debate over whether we should cover it without the, the voiceovers. And then we were like, oh, there just is none. Yeah, there just was none. So yeah. just Markley's. So I thought it was really just interesting Markley. the um, that the remains were hot. She's like, careful, love, they're hot. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very touching scene. Um, and uh, it was sad and moving. And I, I really appreciated the fact that the technician was like, totally cool that you could hang out. I'm glad you could hang out. Just don't tell anybody. Is that what it she, was? Yeah. That's what she was saying. Don't tell anybody about. I was going to ask you about that. I was like, why is she saying don't tell anybody? Because it would be one thing. I thought she was doing it under the table a little bit so she could charge her less. But no, it's 
because because she still has her signed paperwork. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, so it's above board. So what's going on here? Yeah, she's just not supposed to be there when she's doing yeah. the work. So interesting. And, yeah, and I thought that that was that was just a nice little touch, you know. So yeah. Uh, and it was a kind of a, I mean, kind of a rough way to start, but yeah, a little dark, a little dark. Speaking of the opposite of dark, at the lighthouse facility, Danvers questions Heiss about Clark and how he first got his injuries. Heiss will lead them to the cave, but he wants to get well first. As soon as I said that, I was brought back to Breaking Bad. That's like the first <laughs> time I heard that phrase. Oh, get well. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do you, do you, I I knew the minute he said that I was like, oh, she's absolutely gonna get him heroin. Are we? Kidding? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's no absolutely. way we finish this episode without her getting him heroin. That was Chekhov's heroin right there. <laughs> <laughs> Just like okay, we we know this is coming. Um, yeah, this was interesting too because again we went from crazy uh, um, heist in the corner, you know screeching about you know she's out there she's in the ice you know we're in the night country too just mm -hmm. a dude going through normal withdrawals right but i love when he she goes well you said he's in the night country he goes did i say that yeah that's, that's super weird <laughs> exactly <laughs> doesn't remember anything uh she's awake i have to hide she's out there uh, i think is what he had said right yeah so yeah Injuries, uh, so cave-in, trapped, blizzard. The men were following some sort of screaming and howling, and then he blacked out. So there were other people. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. That we don't know who else was there, and that's not in any of the reports that Peters turned up. So maybe that, again, goes to the question of who scrubbed mm -hmm. the records. Was it McKittrick, or was it you know the uh, people above the mine and above Salal? That's it was a, the Hank Kittrick machine, I think. Mm, you think so? Yeah, I think. I think years it was. Ago, though? That's a long time ago. No, I think that now they went back and they were like, erase these. Huh, interesting. I think okay. after the NEK thing, they were like, oh, we got to get rid of this shit. We got to clean, clean up the records a little bit. It's right. like when they couldn't find Camino on the Jedi archives. You know, it's <laughs> not that not that it was never there. It's just that right. it's not there now. Right, right, right. And just, we didn't erase it. We just didn't include it in the, in the new <laughs> records. Um, yeah. So I thought it was interesting that he doesn't know Clark from before. Is he, is he lying? Or I guess if it was 30 years ago, Salal is only 18 years old. Yeah, so. no, I don't think Salal was involved at all with the original incident. Interesting. So he, then said, why? he said, I knew about Salal, but mm -hmm. I wasn't involved with them. You know, I think that they met in the night country recently. Right. They're both hiding from... She, her, whatever. Right. Right. So yeah, this cave thing is a big, big time mystery. In the notebook, I grabbed some good photos too from the uh opening credits. And there's definitely a picture of a frozen foot embedded in the ice, very similar to the fossils. Mm -hmm. And then there's a big hatch, like aka lost, you know, kind of hatch. And then there's actually one little short scene of them, you know, uh, of sort of like as you try if you're traveling through an ice cave. So uh, I think this is yeah we're at the end of our mystery here. So we're gonna we're gonna get to whatever this is all about. This is it. Yep. Yep. So Danvers and Navarro head out of the out to the cave complex with Julia's remains. They <laughs> discover that the entrance is not accessible, and Navarro isn't happy. 
So yeah, it looks very intentionally covered up, right? McKittrick is absolutely involved with it. See, this is what I'm saying. Like she had to have been involved with all of the deletion of stuff. Mm -hmm. Even if it wasn't Hank who did it directly, somebody did it at her direction. Right. Right. Because she, she, her, her fingerprints or paw prints, whatever you want to say are all over this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I want to know, I guess my question is, is how far up does it goes? Because if it's just McKittrick as the mind director, the boss on site, you know, is, is she just sort of fixing things here in the moment or is there a a bigger conspiracy? That's, that's really where I'm, I'm focused at because McKittrick at at the end of the day is kind of small fry in, in, in that I would think. Because that's a, this is a lot of money. The mine is a lot of money. Salal is a lot of money. Yeah, you know. And if if they're if they're researching some amazing cure all microbe or something, you know, whatever it is that it's, um, uh, you know, I could see nefarious forces really wanting to get their hands on that. Yeah, um, especially Kate McKittrick, Nay Tuttle. Yes, exactly. exactly. I'm 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 betting on it. She's a Tuttle. She's a secret Tuttle. Ooh, I like that theory. I, like I don't even know lot. who the Tuttles are, really, because I watched <laughs> right. season one. But I think she's a secret Tuttle. I can't wait till you do go back and watch season one. I want to. I want to hear your. your <laughs> yeah, I probably will. I I don't know if I'm going to watch season two or three, but I'll definitely watch season one. Definitely season one. Season one is is kind of, uh, um, it's like that first year of Mad Men or or you know, Breaking mm-hmm. Bad. It's just it's just one of those things that you you kind of have to see. Like if you're if you're in the television game. It's mm-hmm. definitely something you got to have under your belt. Yeah, I just have such a plate right now. I got to finish Halo. I got to um, go go back and watch more Fargo. I got I got so much stuff going on. You know, we talk a lot about the the Detectives Journal right now, but we also have the Show Tracker, and I've been trying to keep that thing up. And the volume I went to check on the Discord. We have a one channel that pulls a feed from a film and and movie making Discord. Another Discord. Mm-hmm. Over the last two days, there's been over 30 announcements in that channel, uh, that little news feed of, you know, dates that have been updated, new shows that are coming out, new announcements for, for 2024 projects as well as 2025 projects. It's like a fire hose right now. And mm-hmm. I'm just really glad that we do have the show tracker to help kind of thread through all of this stuff because it's it's madness right now. Well, much appreciated that you've put it together. I have to Shall we move on? Do it. Yeah. Yeah, shall we move on to Kayla, who packs a bag for Peter and asks him not to come home tonight. Peter calls his dad from outside his dad's house and hears him playing guitar. Leah and Sherry attend a protest at the mine. So John Hawks is a real musician. Really? Yeah, he's been in a number of bands. If you uh, if you Google for if you Google John Hawks band. You'll get a link. Uh, there's a several links that that uh, will reference the two or three different bands that he's been in, and I think that this is an unpublished original song. I mean, Shazam couldn't find it, and I obviously didn't go digging through the filmography or the the the, the discography of of his previous bands, but it feels you didn't listen like to every single song. I, I was a little busy this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, normally, I probably would have done it. It's unlike you. Know. you. It's unlike yes, you, David. It is. 
it's it was such a good song though it's so very johnny cash it's so very fit the whole bridging yeah. the mind yeah. protest and all this stuff it was it was really good he's got a good voice I, I i like that song he does i you know i was gonna say why is he doing murder for hire when he could just be a johnny cash impersonator <laughs> at weddings in alaska it's got to be a paying gig man yeah Everybody i'm saying needs a musician. i'm saying Look at look at Sarah Palin and and her like I bet you Sarah Palin would hire a Johnny Cash impersonator for a wedding. Anchorage, I'm sure Anchorage is a bustling music scene. I think so. I think yeah. so. Write in, write in. Uh, if Sarah Palin is a listener of the pod, please write in. <laughs> Former governor of Alaska. Oh man, I was feeling rough for Peter here. You know, sad oh, his way over to his dad's house. Yeah. I think- I think that if Peter hadn't said that thing about admit it, you know, I ruined your life. You didn't want the baby. I think up until that point, it was pretty bad. It was, it was salvageable. They could have gotten some help and gotten through it, but that was a really rough comment that, that just, like he's the one in the wrong, but he's yelling at her. And that's just the opposite of what he should do. Yeah. He should have been begging for forgiveness and like, I'm going to set up new boundaries with Danvers right after we finish this case. Right. I think that that would be would have been a reasonable thing to say. I called the therapist. I'm going to I'm going to work on I'm going to go to work on my whatever. Yeah. But right. But no, instead, he goes (laughs) to his dad's house. I thought it was crazy that he's outside his dad's house. He feels so embarrassed that he's already there that he's like, I'm five minutes away. Yeah, yeah, that was it a really was, good little line. It felt real. It did. You know, that feels like yeah. something you would do if you were like embarrassed to go back to your parents' house. Well, yeah, the the uh, not being too eager. Hey, I'm already here. Or knock knock. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, uh, right. I, I can I can totally relate to that. Where you're like trying to play it nonchalant. No, it's cool. I'll yeah, I'll be over in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor Peter had a rough episode. <laughs> he did. He did. He really did. Actually, he got he he got kicked out of his house. He got he raked over the coals by Danvers. Found out that his dad uh, uh, stole from him, and then he murdered his father. Yes, <laughs> it's rough. Well, we can debate if it's a murder. I think. Uh, uh, good point. Good. I think uh, killing in self killing in defense of another would be a fair way to frame it. But now he's covering it up. So. He still, yeah, he killed his dad. Yeah. 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 It's, there's, there's definitely a sticky situation created by the cover up, (laughs) Uh, especially on those floors. You got to do a good job cleaning. (laughs) State troopers are dispatched to the mine protest along with Navarro. Navarro has a vision of Annie Kay. Leah is assaulted by a trooper and Sherry runs away. Navarro steps in to protect Leah. Protest scenes are so very awkward to film and stage. And I thought that it was good. I thought it was better than a lot that I've seen. There were some things that bothered me, but it was it was better than than many that that do it. It's it's tough. It's a tough thing to to maintain that yeah. energy take after take and to film the action. So yeah, I think the the one better that I could point to is also an HBO show. We own this city. They had a really mm-hmm. good protest scene in that. Okay, but other than that, I think this is probably the best one I've seen. 
And again, Navarro here, totally fine. She's not limping. She doesn't have any cracked ribs. You know, she's able to, you know, actually fight another trooper, you know, without any mm-hmm. problem. It just, I, I was still stuck on that when, when this scene came up. Yeah, I did like that Navarro took a good side in the end. And even mm-hmm. though Leah won't acknowledge it, but Navarro probably saved Leah like internal bleeding. Probably. Yeah, like serious really injuries. serious injuries. Yeah. She was about to get beat to shit by that guy. Yeah, completely. And and I didn't wonder when she was at the laundromat later and like uh, it ended up being Kovic banging on the window like she's here, she's here. I thought it would be like some locals in the town like, oh, our hero Navarro, like she's, you know, come to our side, protector of the people kind of thing. I, I don't know if they're going to do that for any cop. <laughs> no, I, that, I just don't far. think it's going to happen. I mean, she was still in riot gear, wasn't she? I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, come yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. Danvers gets a call from Connolly to show up at the mine for a meeting with McKittrick. She then gets a call from Navarro about Leah. Navarro brings Leah into the station to be processed. Danvers confronts Peter about Leah. And then we learn about the connection between Silver Sky Mine and Salal. So Tuttle United, uh, what did she say? Palm Oil Video Games Cruise Line. So Tuttle United has got money splashed out all over the place, right? Big, big holding companies. Can I ask you, why is cruise lines like the thing that HBO wants to sell us is like a rich person's business? Like them and succession? That's right, like well, a thing. What was it? The thing in the in the final season, they wanted to create sort of this uh, 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 controlled living environment where you could uh, just sort of plug in and. And then they made like, oh no, we, we can't we can't spoil this. We can't spoil this anymore. But uh, I was gonna I was gonna quote something from that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was gonna actually think of a, a call out to what was the oh what was that movie Wally where there all the people are on the cruise lot. You know, there. Have you seen that movie? I have not seen it. Okay. I don't know. My daughter's not a big robot guy, a ro- robot girl. Got it. It's um big, big space liners where people just cruise around in these floating seats and it's like they're on a perpetual cruise, uh, constantly being entertained and fed and uh, yeah, completely okay. disassociated with reality. Fun. You know, if I move in with you, that's going to seal the divorce. That's going to fast track me to a divorce. <laughs> that was a great line. It was. It's not a divorce. He kind of clues in Liz to like, she's part of the problem, though. Yeah. And and she does not pick up on it. I don't think. Yeah. She's like, oh, that's a shame. (laughs) Exactly. That's the that's the job, right? You know? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, little protege. Yep. Rough time for Petey. Do you buy this whole connection? Do you think this is going to be instrumental to the end? What I didn't like was the introduction that Salal was verifying uh, environmental reports for Silver Sky Mine. That's a new connection that they didn't give us before. And so we didn't think prior to this that there was any connection between the mine and Salal. Just Salal was just a pure research station. If somewhere they had said, Oh, you know, yeah, Salal, you know, uh, uh, does in some environmental consulting on the side and they 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 do some pollution monitoring or something. I don't know. It just seemed a little bit out of the blue for me that there is a connection. I, I don't mind that there's a connection. That's all fine. I, I was just a little taken aback by the abruptness that in, in how we learned that. I wonder if we missed steps one and two of the Martin three-step reveal. 
Mm-hmm. I wonder yeah. if it was there and we just didn't pick up on it. And then on a rewatch, we would get it. I don't think so, because... Because, like, at, at the beginning, I think that there's a pretty broad description of Salal from that, uh, the the one consultant that Liz slept with and then made, talked to him, talked to her, um, where he's like, oh, yeah, the they teacher, do a lot of Blair. research around it. Yeah, Not the Blair. teacher. Uh, Bryce, yeah. Bryce, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if, you know, oh, well, yeah, they do a bunch of research for, about the environment around here. And I, I think that it was broader than just they're looking for this one thing. I think he was just like, well, this is what I'm really excited about with them. Uh, but yeah. I don't I don't think he limited it to that. Yeah. Interesting. Because because just that just the fact that Salal, you know, validates some environmental reports for the town about the mine's pollution. Like, I don't mind the nefarious background connections, you know, the different holding companies and all that kind of stuff. That's that's good. But I, I yeah, just the idea that that, that Salal is doing some functional element for the mind that that just seemed very new to me so yeah i hear you i hear you all right peter brings leah a pepsi and cheetos and leah reminds peter of who he really is i don't know if i agree with that with that statement david you wrote this outline i don't i don't think she reminds him of who he really is i think she reminds him of who he really was uh, that's a, I'll take that. Yeah. Who, what does she say? Don't let Liz ruin that guy. And I think, I think Liz did the job. I think that guy <laughs> is done. <laughs> it's already done. It's He's certainly done by the end of this episode. As a murder suicide victim. Right. Yeah. Who definitely committed suicide and wasn't shot. I really like <laughs> this scene. I liked this intimacy between i i like that they established this relationship mm-hmm. and that i i like that we got uh, the various scenes throughout the season with them so that it really makes this scene a lot more touching so it really sets us up so when peter does pull the trigger there's so much more behind that yeah. you know the the, yeah. the the fact that you know he's kicked out okay well that's a a, a story that we've seen done a lot around police and law enforcement, right? But the fact that Peter's this good guy and and now he's not not only did he kill his dad, he's got to clean it up and hide it. So Yeah. Well, I did enjoy the Cheeto sharing too. That was a very like a way to get them to keep like going back to each other. Mm-hmm. I think it was really brilliant framing of a scene. I thought this was one of the better, better framed scenes of the episode. Yeah, with the through the little window and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the door. Yeah, like he's not going to open the good. door, but he has this kind gesture anyway. Yeah, very cool. Navarro and Danvers talk. Danvers shares the evidence that Pete uncovered. Yeah, so this scene was good. I, I'm glad that the trooper was suspended because right. that's that's nice justice for Leah. I see you put here about sort of the mirroring here of. You know, Danver is looking after Jules, Navarro looking after Leah. I think yeah. that's really nice, especially later when Navarro lets Leah out. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's like, all right, you know what? I am going to I am going to get in your shit. I am going to let her out. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, in this scene, she says to to Liz says to Navarro, like, don't get into my shit. Don't tell me what to do. And and uh, later, Navarro's like, I am going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to do it. Mm-hmm. And. Liz is is making it about her, not about Leah, not about Leah trying to find herself, trying to find community, mm-hmm. uh, 
Danvers just thinks, oh, she's just doing this to piss me off. Like, right, right. no, this isn't about you, Liz. This is about a young woman who's trying to understand her place in the world and in this community and find things that she cares about or realizing that she cares about stuff. Right. And then you're going to be a jerk right. and throw her in jail like that. She got beat. Like she right. was, she, she was had at a, a protest. Yep. You know, it yep. wasn't illegal to be at the protest. It was, you know, the fact that she got pulled out and, and, and beat on. I don't know if she actually threw the thing that hit Navarro's helmet. Oh, I think uh, she did. Okay. I think, I, I think it's more interesting if she did. Right. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Because Navarro's still like, you know what? Kid hit me, but I owe Liz one. I'm going to go grab her. And I think this kid... And she still has what they call noble intent, right? Mm -hmm. So she believes in the best intent of Leah, even though Leah hit her. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that she did throw that bottle of anchor or whatever it was. And then it ends up Navarro being the one to protect her. Yeah, that's that's a good turn. Right. So Danvers takes the meeting with Connolly and McKittrick. Tuttle. She tries to avoid <laughs> blame, but fails to read the room. McKittrick shows a security video of Danvers and Navarro at the mine entrance. McKittrick angles for information and Danvers flips over her cards, then digs a nice hole for herself. Connolly knows about Wheeler. <laughs> Sorry about your husband. <laughs> That was a rough, rough line. She really, in the conference room at her, you know, at McKittrick's work. I mean, whatever you want to think about McKittrick, fine. But man, that was a chief of police personally, personally insulting the uh, <laughs> intimate performance of, of her husband was, <laughs> that was funny as hell, actually. Yeah. That was funny, but also Connolly going, are you fucking crazy? Like, just stop, <laughs> stop, you know, poking the bear. Yeah. Just stop it. You're um, shit. She's shit with dealing with people, right? She is shit with dealing with people. And Connolly, I got to say, Christopher Eccleston is really selling me on this, like, kind of douchey cop who mm-hmm. is just interested in his political, political ambitions. Yeah. Great actor. He's, do- he's doing a really great job. And um, I like that later... McKittrick doesn't say Connolly's too principled or Connolly Connolly wouldn't go along with this. It's Connolly's weak. Mm-hmm. Right. Connolly's too political. He's weak. And that tells me that Connolly very well could know that. I don't think he knows the specific, but I think he knows that like McKittrick is hiding something about these murders mm. and he's willing to look the other way to keep the peace. If he were a better investigator, he'd follow up on some of this stuff and uh, and and go where the case led him. But politically, if he's running for mayor, he doesn't want to piss off a big corporate interest in his state. And politically, if he's running for mayor, he does, probably doesn't want police corruption coming out. And that seems to be what is going on under, under his him. watch, not just with Hank, which he yeah. might not know about, although he might know about it. Uh, but with Wheeler, with the Wheeler thing, like mm-hmm. he doesn't want that coming out. Exactly. Like, uh, police chiefs all over the country have had to resign when police, police brutality uh, stories come out, especially when they didn't know about it. It's like you're supposed to know about it. That's your right. job to know about this stuff. Why right? was there no protocol in place to make sure that you did know about it when one cop takes justice into their own hands? Right. Exactly. Unlike. Danvers here, who is a really good investigator, 
mm-hmm. but a terrible negotiator. She, right. she, I, I couldn't believe she just let McKittrick walk off with the file of all that information. I mean, I'm well, sure you could reprint it. It's yeah, fine, I, but I think that's just on Pete's phone, right? <laughs> right, right. But still, it's kind of case file stuff. You're just like, oh, here, here's all the things that I know about you. Yeah, go ahead. And and now they can spin it and hide it and go back and scrub it. And Well, it's public info. I, I think it's going to be But it's it's to... the question that McKittrick now knows that Danvers knows. Yeah. So yeah. they can go back and go, oh, we need to do a better job of scrubbing this stuff. Right. Right. And make right. it disappear after the fact. And then it's like, what uh, what files were you talking about? I don't we know. We need another shell files. corp in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> the weather event as cause yeah. of death. That was uh, nice. Yeah. That was absurd. That was absurd. <laughs> and everyone knew, like everyone in the room knew that they were full of shit. Right. Right. McKittrick was like, oh, thank God it was a weather event. <laughs> and Connolly's so- like, yeah, it's over. He he puts on the shut up and do what I say. Right. Face. Let's just get through this. Yeah. But it really felt it really felt honest. It really felt like he knew who he was talking to. Mm-hmm. He knew that she didn't buy the lie. So mm-hmm. he's like, look, I know that you didn't buy the lie, but I don't buy your lie. And we're both going to accept the lies for the sake of our reputations. And and moving on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And that's, that's gotta, that's gotta sting, you know, for, for a dogged investigator like Dan Burrs, that's just, it, it's, it's willingly telling a, a lie, which is, it actually makes her character all the more interesting because when you put it against the Wheeler case where they faked the suicide you know, justice, you know, this whole question of pursuit of justice and, and and the law and upholding the law. It just makes it it's for a much richer context for the character. Yeah, I agree. I still am not totally sure who killed Wheeler. No, I hopefully we'll find out next episode for sure. That's the tough part about episode five is like, okay, <laughs> we're just waiting. Like we've got all these clues stacked up. You know, we got we got one more episode to, to we're just kind of hanging here until uh, till we get to it. Well, we aren't, but somebody is because we can watch it tonight. Yes, I definitely I'm, I'm watch about. it tonight. Yeah, yeah I yeah. want to know who killed everybody. Yeah. Hank takes a clandestine meeting with McKittrick and they talk about the cave. McKittrick gets Hank to follow up on heist. So this is also where this whole episode, I think. I don't have any problem with any of the reveals in this episode. It just felt like they were all packed into one episode. And so it was just, Mm -hmm. it was sort of mundane reveal, mundane meaning non-supernatural, right? It was just sort of one, you know, normal political corruption reveal after another. Mm -hmm. And it it just seemed like a lot. And everything was like right on the nose and right up front and right out there. And I I don't wonder if, if, I don't know why we're doing six episodes. I'm kind of glad just because the show has been a lot of work. Um, But it just felt like they packed all the candy into episode five instead of, you know, uh, spreading it out a little bit more. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite creators of climaxes in media is Robert Jordan with the Wheel of Time books. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about how he sort of 
puts every, he lines up all the shots and right, then he takes right. it at the end. But he doesn't do it in one chapter, right? He does it over like the second half of the book. He, you know, gets something hot, he puts it on simmer. Gets another thing hot, he puts it on simmer. Get he gets the stove full of things on simmer and he goes, watch this. And then he takes out his blowtorch and goes, Right. And uh, that's that's what you need to do with these. I think that's that's like the best way to do this. And I think you're right. I think it was a little bit too much like, aha, and here's the twist and another yeah. twist. Yeah. And all non-supernatural. And so it was just whiplash from from episode right. four. Right. So, right. Yeah. Interesting. I, I really liked how McKittrick treats Hank. She's like, hey, Hen- hey, Henry. She's uh-huh. all first name basis and soft with him. But then Hank, yep. he's not, he's, he's got some sort of animal cunning, but at the same time, he's not also very smart in some ways because she basically had to explain to him how to go about uh, tagging heist and, and getting a hold of him. And so I, I, Hank is this really interesting character where he's, he has this cunning, but he's also a very weak man. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, so weak that he, you know, spent a whole bunch of money on a on a phantom bride. Did you send her money? I'm telling yeah. you, 90 Day Fiance would do a great <laughs> so, job with Hank. I could see the talking head happening right now. Right. Yeah. It it and you've got to feel that Hank's is desperate in a way. He's got nothing left since he got left at the airport, you know, in that embarrassment. But God, he would. But he does have stuff left. He's just not seeing it, right? Sure. Like he has a son. He has grandkids. He's got, you know, maybe his job isn't great, but like other than that, like just retire, man. Go be a Johnny Cash impersonator, and you will be so happy, man. You don't have to do murder for hire. He's got a salary. He's got a. He's got a a command rank. I'm pretty sure he's a captain. Uh, he could just cruise the rest until he retires. And it's 2024, and, and I think he owns a house. Right. That's pretty good. Play some music and and coast. You know? Nobody's going to think any less of you. Everybody thinks less of you already. You right, know? right, right. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, guys like that, they really need, like, constant validation. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I, I really like when she goes, no, I need you to repeat that I did not ask you to kill anybody. <laughs> She's a, she's not, she's a pretty good operator. I will say mm-hmm. she's, she's not bad. She's I'll not be honest. Bad. I think later he gives himself up and just like accept that accepts that he's about to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Because he knows if I live from this, she's going to take me the fuck down. Mm-hmm. Whether legally or hiring somebody to put me away. Right. But yeah, he was boxed into a corner. I agree. Yeah. yeah. He, I, I think McKittrick would not have let him walk away unscathed from that. Right. Even right. even if he tried to turn state's witness or something, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think she was going to let him get away with it. What other little things have gone on too? Right. Not just right. the moving of of Annie Kay's body, but what other other right. nefarious th- little things? Little things, right. you know. So, well, on the topic of murder, a nice light topic to leave it on. Let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll resume the recap. And we're back. While doing her laundry, Navarro has another vision. Kavik brings the stone back and we learn 
that they were used as markers to warn hunters about dangers in the ice. Blair walks in. So again, boom, boom, boom. We reveal, reveal, reveal. Suddenly we know what the spiral means, and at mm-hmm. least in a mundane sense. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, oh, I have no time to process this. This is like, yeah, it was just very jarring uh, to get yet another explanation for something that is not supernatural. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I'm I'm okay with that. I like that it's tied to like why are we finding these around? Mm-hmm. And I think it can be both, right? I think there could be a supernatural thing there too, uh, while still having a mundane thing. Right. So um it's the under caves are called the night country. Mm. Right. So we, you know, we've we've heard that several times now and it's sort of reinforced here. Um, Sorry, I'm thinking Arrested Development narrator. Hey, that's the name of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there you go. It's just a a straight up call out. Um, The interesting thing, too, is the spiral from season one and the spiral from season four turn in opposite directions. And I actually went and and grabbed a, a screenshot from season one and a screenshot from season four and put them together. They are, they're definitely opposites. So it's, uh, you know, does it, does it involve some grand conspiracy thing with Louisiana? I mean, we've got the Tuttles, we have Rust Coal. How do, what does the spiral do now? Is that just going to be left ambiguous going forward? I'm fine with that. I'm fine if there's still some mystery. I, I think it's interesting, but I mean, the whole, Season has been an inversion from season one, right? This is a female-led mm-hmm. uh, story where season one was a very male-centric thing. Um, you know, Louisiana, it's hot <laughs> in, the, mm-hmm. in the daytime. Oh, should I should I make a Watergate joke about Woody Harrelson for Brian 8063 who tagged me and said he's the one who laughs at it every week? <laughs> yes, you can do Watergate. That's it. That's there it. That's go. the joke. All right. So yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that um the the spirals are inverted. I just don't know what it means for the story. Yeah, um, I guess there's probably uh, a day country in the air in season <laughs> one that we don't know about. Right. No, I don't know. I, I guess maybe that it's it is kind of cool to repurpose something from season one that didn't mean a lot. I, I right. do think that that's that's an interesting thing to do and sort of a way to create a connective tissue with a previous series that she wasn't in charge of. And what's interesting, too, about season one is that all the metaphysical mystical stuff was all surface sort of icing on the cake. It was just surface dressing and it wasn't supposed to be deeper, but that's what people loved about it. So I don't even think Pizzolatto realized what he did with season one in the sense that, well, true detective is just supposed to be about detectives and sort of. Eh, there's a little bit of a story of good versus evil, light versus dark kind of thing. But the Rust Cole character and the visions and the spirals did something to take it to a next level. And that's what people really loved was the juxtaposition between the the mundane police work and the supernatural. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Issa Lopez is trying to walk that same spiral, right? She's trying not yeah. to fall into the spiral here. She's trying to stay on the path. So Navarro confronts Danvers at the police station, saying she knows how to get into the caves. Danvers tries to convince Navarro the case is over because Connolly knows about Wheeler. 
Navarro insists on going and then puts the onus on of carrying Annie Kay's memory on Danvers. Navarro lets Leah out of lockup. <laughs> Fuck Liz, right? She's yeah. Just like, <laughs> that was a, you know, a little bonding moment between Leah and, and, and Navarro there. I, I thought mm-hmm. that was cool. So. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Um, I think Danvers is doing the politically wise thing here and going, I'd rather not be prosecuted for murder. And Navarro should probably not be prosecuted for murder. So let's not poke the bear anymore. Mm-hmm. Navarro's like, where's the bear? I want to poke it. I want to poke <laughs> yeah. it so bad. I'm going to box it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she knew what she was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea that it goes back to episode one when they were at Salal in the hallway and Navarro says, you know, we, we carry them. We, we owe them this, this sort of debt, right? It's our job. That's, that's who we are. We're supposed to care about these people in death more than maybe some people cared about them in life. But anyway, it's our job to remember them in death so that we can bring something called justice forward. And Navarro has been holding that for a long time. And, and I think this, along with a couple of other things, end up radicalizing Liz and actually pushing her over because in that hallway scene in, in Salal in episode one, um, Danvers is like, no, we don't. We don't owe him shit. Like, no, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're just, we're functionaries. We're just doing a job. We're just sweeping up afterwards, you know? Right. Right. Which we knew was not true. We knew that Liz cared somewhere deep down inside. Um, and so I think, you know, this is one of those things that a couple of things happen in this episode that really push Danvers towards that sense of inner justice that she has. Like, don't let this get shut down. Take it. See it through because this is important. She really needed to push back into justice because she was getting a little bit, uh, a little bit sloppy over there. Yeah, yeah. She was a little sloppy. She was, a little compromised, sure. one might say. Yep. Hank talks to Peter and recounts a story of when Peter was nine and fell through the ice. David, this was the weakest scene of the episode for me. Oh, really? I thought that this was so contrived. Hey, son, you remember when you were <laughs> nine and you fell through the ice? Oh, you don't remember it? Don't worry. I dream about it. I dream about it all the time. It was very, it was, it was not good for me. Okay. This was the one scene where I was like, yeah, you didn't nail the realistic dialogue for me. Got it. Okay. But you can see the trap that Lopez is setting for us here, right? That. But set that throughout the episodes, right? Like, I understand mm-hmm. that they wanted him to have a troubled relationship with his dad. I actually think it would have been more powerful if he had a better relationship with his dad. And, like, mm-hmm. he didn't see him for who he was mm-hmm. until the moment of he's going to shoot Danvers. Right. Right. But the trap nonetheless is laid, right? You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're supposed to see Hank as uh, we felt a little bit sorry for him <laughs> last episode. A ah. little bit. So people, you know, we could understand. We can sympathize. He's sending you know. his crime <laughs> cover up money to a young woman uh, yeah. in a vulnerable population. Probably the opposite of a, a, a young, attractive woman on the other end of that keyboard. OK, well, he thinks <laughs> he thinks so. And also, might I add, watch 90 Day Fiance. There are plenty of young women who <laughs> would catfish, not even catfish, but like bait 
Hank into sure. sending, sure. you know, somebody who looks like Hank into sending the money and then just not show up. But it's all this little, a little bit, a little bit of humanizing on Hank. We, he plays the guitar. Wow. He's a really good musician. Like what, what parent wouldn't go to that length to save their child? Right. You know, the, that, mm-hmm. that, um, and then this, this heroism and this, this human side that, that we've seen, cause we can at least understand the, uh, an emotion that he's feeling in that moment all serves to heighten the emotional tension. So when we do get this at the end of the scene, it's a, it's a much bigger trigger. There's a much bigger, there's a lot more velocity, a lot more emotional velocity yep. uh, in the scene. Yep. Yep. Warm Shadow by Fink plays as Rose hammers into the ice so that Navarro can return jewels to the sea. Rose lets us know that the big storm is coming in. Navarro thinks she hears something and walks out onto the ice where she shouldn't, and she's rescued by Rose. So this is, again, the show rhyming here, right? We have a scene of Hank chipping into the ice. And then we have yep. Rose doing yep. the same thing. So just these little little parallels, you know, putting you know somebody under that. You know, Peter died. He went down under the ice, and then he was pulled back out. Um, you know, here's Jules. You know, who's not with us anymore, going back in. So just all these rhyming couplets that the show has going on in mm-hmm. it, and it reinforces the danger of the ice right before yes. Navarro falls Ooh, in. Good call. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't trust the ice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's actually, that's, I, yeah, I can totally see that because I think, again, this is what Lavaro's, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, Isa Lopez is doing is setting all these little things out so that later on she can trigger them. Right. Little, little yep. pyrotechnics to go off for us as we, as we go through. Yep. So really beautiful scene though, too, of them in the dark ice and the, the dark sky and the ice. And again, just uh, the, the craft and care that has gone on, it's got to be hard to shoot in those environments and then to make the look, have it consistently look the way that it's done mm-hmm. uh, is really expert job. I'm yeah. really impressed. Yeah. So, and Rose, who's always been calm, cool, collected is like, what are you doing? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I really like that. Just <laughs> anyone would have freaked out by that. Yeah. She's yeah. I was like calling you like, Hey, you know, yeah. She's, she's At least there. she checked on her and didn't just, oh, you want me to stay? Nope. All right. Bye. Bye. Put my yeah. headphones on, rocking out on the way back. Right. For sure. Um, so this putting Jules back into the sea, again, it's not a one-to-one with the Sedna myth, but it's very much speaks to that. And just a reminder of the Sedna story, um, different communities in the Arctic tell the story a little bit differently. The upshot is, is that uh, a young girl, there's a conflict with her father about various things. He cuts her fingers off. Like he tries to drown her. She holds onto the boat. He cuts her fingers off. She goes down. Her fingers become the sea creatures, the walruses, the seals, all of the things that uh, people need to survive up there. And then she becomes sort of a goddess of the underworld who is a little bit vengeful and has to be appeased on a regular basis. And so mm. hunters as, will, as old gods often are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so the hunters would, you know, have to make 
sacrifices and the shaman would have to comb her hair and, and do these various rituals to um, keep the animals coming because, you know, they're, they're subsistence hunting. So they need to make sure that the, uh, they, they can track the wildlife. And if the wildlife doesn't come, if Sedna doesn't send the wildlife, then, you know, it, it gets rough for the people. So this mm-hmm. idea of pouring Leah's, uh, sorry, Jules's ashes back into the sea, again, just echoes within that overall mythology. I really like the Sedna myth. I hope that that like directly comes up at some point in the finale. Which is why I wanted to call out the main pod, the official podcast, because they beautifully segue it in without it seeming like if, if you haven't done any research, if you're just sort of, you know, la 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 listening along. Oh, Sedna, that's a that's a really interesting thing mm-hmm. where the Reddit sleuths and the, all of our, you know, the cottage industry of podcasters, we've been on the Sedna myth from very early on. Um, and so listening to this podcast, the official podcast, where they're like, oh, da-da-da, and mythology, and it's mm-hmm. very important to our culture and our society. It's how we survive. It's how we transmit information from generation to a generation. But then those mythologies also live within us, and that's how we see and feel the world, how we connect mm-hmm. to the world. And they just drop the Sedna thing in there really nicely. Oh, and this one example, da 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 And it's like, oh, okay, uh-huh, here we go. They're <laughs> telegraphing. Yeah, yeah. So- that's fine. Um, big storm, you know, here we go. Click, click, you know, uh, start the, the, the dramatic tension knob clicking up, right? You yeah. Know, oh, we yeah. got to have a big storm, big, big, big plot swing, big, big drama for the end of the show. Well, I think I said last episode that they are really trying to ramp up the pressure on all the characters individually. You know, you mm-hmm. have Peter's marriage falling apart. Hank is, is uh, in trouble with all his stuff. Uh, with the bride not coming and, uh, you know, his son's marriage falling apart. And now this whole thing of go murder somebody. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then you have Navarro, her sister dying. Uh, the protest stuff is really rough. Uh, Liz has her the stuff with Leah. She has the Wheeler case. There's a ton of stress just ramping up on everybody. Totally. And uh Yeah. I think that they just wanted everyone to be in a really vulnerable spot for the finale. And so the weather says, all right, you know how you're all really emotionally upset? We're going to make you be physically struggling, too. That's right. Yeah. Maybe somebody else will die in a weather event. Throw in a big, you know, uh, circumstance that just throw that that throws everything else into uh, Uh into chaos. Yep. Yep. Danvers takes a chance and tries to reconcile with Leah. They talk and Leah tells Liz that she has not given up on her. Liz is followed by Hank as she leaves Kayla's. Not a lot to cover here. I think the again the dialogue is very real in and very grounded. The one line that did throw me a little bit was the I haven't given up on you. I didn't quite it didn't quite resonate for me. I don't know maybe it resonated maybe it's a me thing. I don't know if it resonated for other people. I get what Leah is saying there. I understand that. Look, Liz, I'm I'm pissed at you, and I'm going to spend some time away and and try to get my head right. But that doesn't mean that I don't want us to not have a relationship. Like it's not over, over. Um, so I get that that was the sentiment. It was just a strange way of, of phrasing it. I don't know if it landed for you at all. No, yeah, it was a little weird. It, yeah. it just felt like whiplash after. Her being incredible, you know, fucking pigs, like the right. last minute. Um, <laughs> which, like, you know, I get why she's saying that, too. That felt more natural. Right. 
See, we can listen to cursing people who were on us about foundation. <laughs> that felt more natural. They did very, very normal. Uh, I guess so. Teal. Okay, no, stop it, stop it. I'll tell you why. <laughs> on my way to work today, I put on the the Ringer podcast for yes. True Detective Joanna episode four, and, and, uh, and you know I love the Ringer. They're great people. They you know yeah. they do good work. I put it on and I'm five minutes in and I think I've heard the word till 200 fucking times. And <laughs> I just, I don't ever want to hear that word again. I don't care about the theory. I'm sorry. I'm letting it go. All right. We are not doing teal watch 2024. No teal watch. Go to the ringer for that. <laughs> you got plenty of it. Big scene here. Liz visits the cemetery and sees the caskets of children who can't be buried because the ground is too frozen. Seeing the caskets radicalizes her, and she removes some heroin from the evidence locker. She confronts Hank and deduces that he told Connolly about Wheeler. She then confronts Peter, who learns the ugly truth about his father. He also learns about the ugly difference between law and justice as he Sherlock's Danvers. Yeah. This is a really big scene. Really. Yes. You know, that he... That he has figured out the Wheeler case, Mm -hmm. you know, he's too, he's too, he's a good investigator, but he's not wise enough to go, Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't be digging into this any deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe this is going to be information that I don't want to know. He he can't help himself. Right. He just is. You don't know when to stop asking questions. You know, it's funny because Danvers the whole time would be like, ask a question, like really encourages Mm -hmm. everybody. She's like, fuck, I taught this kid too well. (laughs) I taught him too well. My Watson is is surpassing me now. Completely, completely. With great power comes great responsibility. I'm coming on the MCU podcast to talk about that. (laughs) This whole scene, too, with Finn Bennett, who is the actor playing Peter, was he really delivered a really nice performance. At first, he's like, hey, boss. And she's, you know, get in here. And then he's like, oh, damn, I got I got uh, taken advantage of by my dad. Now I'm learning the ugly truth about the two people I look up to the most, Danvers and Navarro. And then, you know, he has to deal with his dad and actually, Mm -hmm. you know, tell him to, you know, piss off. It was a really well-delivered scene. He, he at once felt like a, a, a kid, like a young, young boy who's been, you know, hurt. But at the same time, he knows in his heart what the answer to the Wheeler case is. And when he finally gets around to asking the right question about, you know, did you know Wheeler was left-handed? Oh, it was so, it was just so well set up, you know, uh, you know, Oh, how many times did you go there? Oh, this or that, all these mundane questions. And she's just like, dude, cut the bullshit and get to the, real question. You know the real question. You already know the real question. Just say it. And for him to then come forward with that was ah, it was really good. It was a really yeah. good scene. Yeah, the left-handed thing I really liked. I really liked how she messed up the the murder suicide staging. Right. Yep. He's such good murder police. He would be he's he's a such a good investigator. He's very talented. 
And because Danvers was the lead investigator on it, and she's the good one, if she says it was a murder-suicide, then it was a murder-suicide. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, why does uh, Hank have, flood, you know, the files from the flood? Well, yeah, he's he's covering up some stuff on his, his own account, but who flooded the files? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? That's they, a good question. Can, I didn't think about that. Yeah, she says, because Peter says, on all the other files, the ballistics and the forensics all got lost in the flood. Mm. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. Your fun. heroes are not uh are not so worthy of your devotion now, are they, Peter? But Peter gets some blood on his hands by the end of the episode. So he's <laughs> he like, Yeah, does. I'll just follow in Mother Danvers' footsteps on Mrs. Robinson's footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> and that he yeah, literally, like he has to fake a murder suicide, which is what Navarro and Danvers did. It's really great rhyming couplet stuff. Again, just you know, playing and twisting and inverting these storylines. It's it's even if she didn't do the supernatural thing, even she if she just if if Lopez just did a straight cop drama, it would be I would really be into that story because she she does. It's not so much how clever the twists are; it's how clever she. Um, builds the character studies of the characters and how, yeah. how well she moves them through their paces. Yeah. was a very good job. was a very, very good scene overall. Uh, it was a really nice way to turn, ask the question on its head. Mm-hmm. Because it's I thought it was like... getting to be a little bit tired at mm-hmm. certain points, but I think mm-hmm. this was a really great way to use it. I hope it's pretty much done now. I think that was the climax of it. it you can't get better than that. You cannot get better than that. Right. Navarro goes to Kavik's. Peter checks himself into Liz's shack and Heiss gets high in Liz's bathroom while Navarro <laughs> has a moment. Um, this is really just kind of a bridge scene. A uh, mm-hmm. lovely moment with uh, Evangeline and Kavik and him, you know, saying like, come back, you know, I'm here, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I whatever. I know you have to go do what you got to do. I just want you to come back. I want you to survive. Mm-hmm. Don't make a mess. It was really lovely. <laughs> it was lovely. And it was really great to see that, you know, he can still be uh, uh, a man and be very male in a lot of his his ways of being, but yet he doesn't have to be the alpha in the relationship with her. They don't have, it doesn't have to follow that thing. She has a career and a path that she needs to follow and he's okay with that. And I really yeah, coming that. out of Fargo, I think uh, I think it's a good trope we're starting to subvert. Mm-hmm. Of the man has to be manly right. and yeah, and take control. Well, yeah, and Fargo completely turned that story. Yeah, you know yeah. that that completely flipped that one over. Yeah, just one really quick thing about when Navarro has the moment on the road of the child pointing at her. Mm-hmm. The one ghost that we didn't see was Julia. We saw her mother, we saw um, the woman who was murdered by Wheeler, and we saw um, uh, Lund, but we did not see Julia as one mm. of those ghosts. So they that, I think, is a conscious choice. I don't know why, but it almost felt like, and I could be wrong on this, but it almost felt like Navarro was starting to make a little peace with having visions and not being 
pulled by it in a self-destructive way mm-hmm. that she's finding some equilibrium in some way. I don't know. I wonder if in her mind, she's a little bit like, well, if I go down now, it's not me and Julia going down. She's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, Interesting. Navarro is yeah. allowed to be the vulnerable one. Right. And she's not, she doesn't have somebody depending on her. She had an over, she had an right. outsized sense of uh, big sisterdom, right? Like right. I got to make sure, I got to be around to make sure that, yeah, like you're saying, you, I got to be around to make sure that you're okay, but you're not here anymore. So I can right. just go and be and do. I think if Navarro solves point. the Annie K case, she will feel at peace. Yeah. Yep. Overall. Cool. The big climax of the episode. We got the Spider-Man pointing at each other. (laughs) Hank shoots Heiss and Peter shoots Hank. Then Navarro shows up with like a a Seinfeld entrance. (laughs) She does a Kramer entrance. Yeah. Slides in. Except when the door hits uh, Heiss on the body. Heiss's body on the the floor. Whoa. Oh, man. Just get the bass in there. The... They could have ended like if we had a couple more episodes, if this was like an eight or a 10, she totally could have ended this episode on the um, with the camera shot of Liz comforting Peter uh, on the ground and just yeah, because there there is, you know, it pulls back. It does that same technique. She uses this technique a lot where the camera is pulling back. It's zooming backwards and, you know, it's down a hall in the lighthouse or down the hall in the, in the hospital where the, the people at the center of the frame are static and we're the ones that are moving further and further and further away. And they do that in this scene. So I, I really noticed it is it's a real uh, a regular technique that Lopez is, is using. But, man, if they had just cut that scene right there and left us with some eerie music and some scenes of Ennis, that would have been a hell of a hang uh, a cliffhanger yeah. for for an episode. Yeah, I don't think they actually needed to go as far as like being like, "All right, you clean up." Right. But I'll tell you one thing that would have made the scene better for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just Navarro shows up, "Hey, what's going on, everyone?" Oh. Hit the door. <laughs> How how fast were you scrambling to try to pull that, that sound? <laughs> uh, pretty fast. <laughs> and load it into the soundboard. Yeah. So, yeah. A little levity to uh, to counterbalance the seriousness of, of Peter having to shoot his dad in the head. I mean, geez. I got, yeah, I got to say, Finn really sold it. I bought he that he was devastated, but he was like, this is my responsibility. I shot mm-hmm. him. I'm going to clean it up. Yep. And he you, sees you clean good, they it. say to him. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows how to, he knows what to do, right? He's right. a really good investigator. So he's going to know, oh, yeah, the drop of blood will have gone way up over there. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was the logical choice given the situation. It was Danvers and, and Navarro were, are the ones that have to go. And, and so he made the right call um, in through it. Were you completely, um, I, I was left stunned at, at the end of this thing. I, mm-hmm. I was just completely shocked. I don't know. How, how did you feel? Um, I was not expecting it, but I wasn't shocked either. Okay. I think that I was just like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. When like, I, I just would not have believed that Peter sided with his dad after that. Right. And I think part of that is that the whole season 
we've seen him resenting his dad and really mm-hmm. looking down on his dad. And so even, you know, you give me one scene where they're having a heart to heart that doesn't undo the whole season. So I think if they wanted me to be shocked by that, they needed to do a better job of having more heart to hearts or more little nice things from Hank to Peter. Right. I, I don't think I was as much shocked that Peter made the decision to do it. I just meant the whole thing. Okay. Okay. I was not expecting the entire scenario of Hank gunning down Heiss and then then um, going to shoot Danvers and then Peter, you know, having to save Liz. Mm. Like the, I, I never in a million years would have predicted this set of circumstances to to arise. This is not yeah. any. This was not anywhere on my radar. I did think that him getting kicked out of the house felt very natural from a plot perspective. Totally. But so like it was really great because it was serving the character of, you know, putting pressure on Hank, Mm -hmm. but not, but it also got him in a place where the plot worked, where he could come in with the gun. And And it wasn't weird. Did I do that? You want me to keep doing old sitcoms? (laughs) No, it's okay. You don't have to. (laughs) All right. You can stop your Google searching for sound effects. It was, no, I'm done. I'm done. I just got my one. Yeah. All right. Um, Yeah. I thought it was crazy. I thought it was crazy. Again, I wasn't shocked. Uh, Navarro immediately being like, this kid's fucked if we call mm-hmm. anybody about this. I think that that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Especially it's in Denver's house when she's already on thin ice. She's going down. Everybody's going down. Who's there? Mm-hmm. But I really love the irony and the rhyming and the symmetry of Hank got into this mess by moving a body. And his body's about to be moved. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. She keeps doing this. All these little mirrors and these little inversions and little little rhyming couplets. It's it's really good. Although I don't think, you know, okay, so with, assuming that Connolly isn't a, a weak-spined person and was, a, you know, a, a competent and, and, and goodly leader, Hank, or what Peter did, I don't think he's not in trouble. Liz is in trouble. She has. Well, she a, did a, give a guy heroin and bring exactly. him back to her house instead of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I I agree with that. If you believe all the actions of everybody, all the the story of everybody, right? I think right. that Peter it looks would, terrible. Absolutely, right. but that's terrible. what I'm saying. Is like this goes on the news. You know, mm, you get you get totally. the death of a cop. You get the death of a uh, a drug addict who uh, who was in the bathroom shooting up of the sheriff (laughs) well he was yeah this is a terrible terrible situation for an optic from an optics perspective and ted running for mayor my god right right it's a terrible and and navarro was absolutely right this is not something that you call anybody else for right and they are all experienced and competent uh investigators and and can lie and cover it up really good. I mean, nobody figured out the Wheeler case until the protege of the person who did it figured it right. out, you know? Right. So, I mean, Hank didn't, Hank might've suspected something, but he could never prove it until he could get a, his hands on, on Peter's laptop. Right. I think, I think Hank was more like, I know how cocky that guy is. He wouldn't have killed himself. Mm-hmm. I think that's what, that's what Hank would have said. Right. But that's not evidence, right? That's just conjecture. You know, and going back to your point before, all of the plot mechanics 
of getting Peter out of the house and then Hank being able to use all this stuff and then him being in the shack. It never felt, I never felt the hand of the writer. I never felt the the machinery of the plot. Oh, well, we got to get this person in this position. I would it, say except the scene where they have the heart to heart. But anyway, anyway, that's the one time I felt the hand of the writer. Yeah, well, but 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 that was in the writing, not necessarily the mechanics of getting, uh, you know, character A into position B, right? Yeah, and, I just kind of don't buy the whole heart to heart happening at all. That's fine. That's fine. I just but don't think th- Hank's that person. I don't think he's sentimental. Mm. Well, I, 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 again, I, I, it goes back to her trying to humanize him. So when this does happen, they had this one final touching moment where Hank remembers, you know, where, where we know that Hank had remember something about his son and we can, we can empathize, especially his parents, you know, we can actually identify with him. So anyway, well, it, it was, yeah, I, I'm, I'm less mad at the episode, I think, even after talking about it now. One last thing I wanted to say is Hank knew he was going to die before Peter ever lifted the gun the second time because he says, I think I think it's before that. I could be wrong. So Uh if I'm wrong, that's fine. He says before that, you should know I didn't kill any K. I just moved the body. Right. Right. So he knew he was going to be gone and they were going to go after this anyway. Yeah, because, yeah, he he sort of did the the triangulation. Peter's still. Mm-hmm. The the moment I go to shoot Liz, yeah, I'm I'm done for. Right. Yeah. He's like, I'm not gonna kill my son. I th- I think he thinks that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if even if he could have morally in his head shot Peter, even if he could have worked his way up to do that, I don't think he gets a second shot in. I think no, Danvers yeah. tackles him before right. he can ever unload a second shot. So right. there's no way that he was getting both of them down. Right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and it's interesting that in that final moment, Hank does offer that piece of information, that key piece of information. Um, some some last feeble attempt to feel good <laughs> or clean his soul yeah. in some way. I think right? he got in too deep. I don't think he I don't think he wanted to be corrupt. He just wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be chief. Yeah. 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 He wanted to be the big man. Interesting thing, too, the way that John Hawks plays the character, whenever he comes into a scene, he kind of will will take this heroic stance, sort of turn 90 degrees to the side, usually puts his hand on his gun, kind of in this like uh, casual way, but yet still communicating, you know, uh, alpha maledom a little bit. He he really does have a an arrogant sensibility, and and Hawks plays that perfectly. Um, and yeah, he just wanted to be the big man, and uh, and that greed uh, was his ultimate undoing, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what a dark ending. I'm I'm excited for the finale. I really am. I think it's going to be a great time. Look, John, it's 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 an hour and thirty minutes. We covered a, I know. an episode I know. in less than two hours. Yeah, but I'm looking at this feedback. Boy, <laughs> do we have some feedback to get through. So we do. why don't we take one more quick break? When we get back, we'll get into all that. And we're back. If people want to write in, David, they can go to truedetective at thelorehounds.com. They could also 
go to the website, thelorehounds.com, head to the contact page. There's a contact form there. You can write in without having to type any emails, or you can use the voicemail feature, which is always a fun time, and not enough people do it, so go do it. Yeah. Uh, the Discord server is also open for live chatting. We have a live chat that goes on every time the episode airs. It's a lot of fun. People jump in. People are just like react live reacting. I think you mentioned that earlier in the podcast. And uh, overall, if you want to send feedback through Discord too, just tag us, say, hey, this is for the podcast. Cool. Good for us. Would you like to read some feedback, David? Sure. Maybe we could we could trade off here. Sure. That sounds good. First up is Jeff R., who sent a message using the contact form. Says, just found your True Detective podcast and really enjoying episode four discussion. Well, thanks, Jeff R. I'm glad you were able to find us. We've got a... Actually, a lot of new folks around, so it's it's great. Welcome, everyone. We're, we're, we're glad you're here. We, we do more than just this, so, you know, uh, hop on, you know, like we said, hop on the Discord or, or dig through our archives. We've, we've got a lot of fun projects on the, on the go. Um, Jeff R. continues, I had to laugh at your comment about the appreciation of the tasteful nudity after being <laughs> subjected to two episodes of male corpsicle naughty bits strategically poking out of the ice at us. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, pretty funny. But at least that was there for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they are naked because of something weird going on right. and because of something probably supernatural going on. And so I, I, when I say tasteful, I mean like there for a reason. It's happening for a reason. Right. It's not, it's not there to do the Game of Thrones thing, which is, well, we haven't had a sex scene in three episodes. Let's throw one in. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's all been very, uh, it's all been reasonable. Well, you, you, I think episode I, I picked one, the bone with, I still don't yeah. think the Navarro sex initial scene was one. necessary. Yeah, right. the initial sex scene was necessary. Even the Danvers one, I was like, ah, I guess I see a little bit of it, like established a thing with with uh, Connolly. But at the same time, again, I don't see what I got out of seeing them that I couldn't have gotten out of them cleaning up, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Before or after. Oh, that was crazy. Right. That was crazy. Right. And you remember the first episode one, people were crazy, you know, having crazy conversations about like, you know, did Navarro take advantage of him and where, you know, where's the line in terms of, you know, unwanted sexual act, you know, whatever. And, and people were arguing about Leah and, and Sherry and underage dating and all this stuff. And it's like, we're so far beyond that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. All right. Just Jeff not really a concern in this show where mm-hmm. we're focused on murder suicides now. Yeah. And I think that it's, it, it is interesting because that scene did spark a whole bunch of debate and then people have gotten over it. So, you know, maybe as a director, she was pushing something intentionally in that way and, and confronting us a little bit with it. That's, and maybe distracting and it was us out, a little bit. Yeah, outside of the story. So um, Jeff R. continues, also, am I the only one who noticed that Ennis is basically, uh, backwards is basically sinner? Sorry if I missed that discussion. Actually, um, oh, and continues, would love to hear more discussions of show names, still trying to work out the Salal reference. I, I I don't think anybody has mentioned. I think you're the first person, Jeff, to that I've seen that that is pointing I mean, out that Ennis is backwards. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you need the R still, but I see you've put that in parentheses here. Yeah, for our uh, enjoyment, I guess. <laughs> but I, it's I, funny because Ennis is a name of towns around the world. Like people name places Ennis, Ennis. Texas. It's just not in Alaska. Yeah, 
And I was going down early on, I went down a, I wouldn't call it a rabbit hole, but I had a little, you know, a small tinfoil theory, which is that, because uh, there is an Ennis, Texas, and it's not far from Louisiana, and then that would all tie back to season one. And Rust Cole spent a lot of time in Texas before he went to Louisiana. So I thought that was some mm. sort of thing. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she's going for the sinner thing or the Texas thing, but yeah, nobody else has done the the backwards. People have tried to play some of the sound effects backwards to to hear, you know, if there's some voices in the in the weird ghost speak stuff, but um, yeah, not this one. So long. I, I got a. I, I I did a quick Google as mm-hmm. we were wont to do. Uh, Ennis is a name of Celtic origin. It's borrowed from Irish. Okay. And it means island or one choice. And it it was originally a town in West Ireland. Okay. Okay. So it is uh yeah. I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is maybe Isa Lopez did choose it because it was close to Sinner, but maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. Uh if you want a Salal reference, there's a great Reddit thread that goes into the whole thing of Salal. There's some uh, Hebrew connections. There is some uh, some Hebrew mysticism connections. There is some uh, short story connections in the in the cosmic horror genre. Um, and so if you search for Salal uh, meanings, I think on, on the Googles, you'll you'll find some stuff. And there's a there's one particular, you know, email me and I can email you a link or or, you know, we, we'll, we could post it in the discord if you if you pop up there. So Anyway, uh, Jeff R. concludes, keep up the great work. Look forward to your future shows. Thanks, Jeff. I'm glad you you found us and um, I hope to hear from you again in the soon. You know, make sure you get in some, some feedback for us for the season wrap, for sure. Welcome, welcome. Mel Bradshaw wrote in an email to truedetective at thelorehounds.com and said, in a world full of instant gratification and predictability, this show is the one-eyed polar bear opposite. It scratches yeah, the that. itch on my <laughs> curious brain I love not knowing, but always wanting to find out. It's a welcome change of scenery. Yeah, I, I like that. You know, it's no TikTok. That's very no. true. <laughs> it's very, and these are solid one-hour episodes. They are, yeah. and uh, I think they should have been like eight to ten, forty-five minute episodes. TBH. Okay, <laughs> but we can have that discussion on the season wrap. Um. Also, what if the role of Stacy Chambers? from episode one was played by Melissa McCarthy game changer for sure. (laughs) I could see it. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, I always picture Melissa McCarthy as her character from bridesmaids. That's like her most iconic role for me. Mm. I think for me is the one where it was a spy one with uh, who was that? Oh, I can't remember what I just remember. It was, we were in New York. I had recently moved out to New York to be with my now wife and it was a summer day and it was just blistering hot. And we went to the movies to escape the heat. And that's what we, we saw was the whatever Melissa McCarthy uh, oh. sp- uh, spy movie. No, I just did. think of the movie where they all get food poisoning. And she decides to poop in the sink. That is not an image <laughs> that I needed. Jen. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Moving you've already on. had corpsicles. And yes, this and is this is pointy less, bits. Coin, this is pointy less bits. bad by a standard. <laughs> All right, the love heat. listening. That's what it was. The heat. Keep it up. Uh, almost a boomer, so I still haven't found that damn detective notebook on Patreon. Alas, I will survive. That's that's a good note. Um, I, David, I know you hooked up Mel with the uh, yeah. Mel is a patron detective's notebook. 
Yeah. Uh, if you are a patron and you can't find it for some reason, just send us a DM. We'll, we'll make sure you have access to it. All right. Next up is Leah Z by email. Leah says, okay, first of all, I really enjoyed the actual in-depth coverage of the show and the thoughtful way you unpack every episode you cover. Oh, well, thank you. That's what we, we aim to do. We, and yeah, we don't, even if we're not personally enjoying things, we do try to be level-headed about it, I, I guess a little bit and, and actually have some fun digging into the details. Uh, Leah continues. However, I had to write in to say thank you for the Corn Kids song reference in your part four <laughs> coverage. Literally started singing the rest of the song and then laughed out loud when you said someone got a laugh out of it on their drive to work. It was me. I'm that person. That's great. Anyway, thanks for the laugh, and I hope we all have something that we love as much as that kid loves his corn. <laughs> what do you like about corn? It's cold. <laughs> so I had not I'm finishing the song Oh no, no, we can't seconds. <laughs> That's it I had not I knew nothing about this And so when, when Leah sent in their email I, I Okay, I was like, alright I gotta find out what this corn kid thing is That kid is adorable It's very funny He's so cute Oh my goodness. He just loves his corn. He does. And I agree with Leah. May we all enjoy something as much as Corn Kid loves his corn. That's right. Loremaster Bettina W. Writes this in is not about with, corn. This, this this email is not about corn. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, writes in with info about facilities like the Lighthouse. Hey, Lorehounds. Hey, Bettina. Just a few thoughts on a scene that I can sadly relate to and I would imagine many people will have strong opinions on. From what I understand, Jules submits herself voluntarily to psychiatric care facility. I don't know how things in the U.S. work, but in Austria, that means that patients are absolutely free to come and go as they wish. Every facility usually has rules concerning when patients have to be home, but that's just the internal rules. If a patient decides to act against the rules, there is not much we can do. Here, facilities such as the Lighthouse don't, usually don't have security because we really, what we really need are psychologists and social workers, and that's what the budget is spent on. So yes, it does happen that a patient leaves the facility and people on duty don't even know that they're gone, and it can be absolutely nuts for a few hours. Oh, sorry. And it can absolutely be a few hours up to a whole day before we notice. It's a hard truth we have to deal with because we absolutely know that what we see with Jules can happen anytime simply because we don't have the resources to check on every patient every other hour. And yes, I have also been confronted by family members like Navarro. We try to be supportive as best we can, but we also have to protect our staff. So Navarro's behavior would be absolutely unacceptable. Curious to see where the final two episodes are going to take us. Well, thanks Patina for sharing your professional your personal professional experience um it's it's um yeah it's a kind of work that i can't uh, imagine what that is like where people really desperately need a lot of care but at the same time we don't want to recreate mental health facilities that we had earlier when people were involuntarily held and and that led to a system of abuse and not treating people like human beings but sort of warehousing them so it's tough. That's a tough line to walk. Uh, the U.S. is a mess. That's that's what Bettina W. asked. The U.S. is an absolute mess on mental health care. 
Uh, we did used to have asylums. They were most often called, I think. Yep. Uh, and sanitariums. Sanitariums. Asylums. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the point is, basically, it's very hard to hold people, like you say. Uh, there's often an involuntary 48-hour uh, hold if you get called in for like a suicide attempt or something like that. But after the 48 hours, basically, they got to let you go unless right. you commit a crime. Basically, right. that's the only way they can do these involuntary, uh, you know, imprisonments, basically. And the reason is because back in the day, and I'm, so I'm not going to defend these places because back in the day, they were ripe for abuse. Yeah. They were really, yep. really, really bad to the uh, the patients. People were were being experimented on. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And so. Rightfully so, civil rights activists got involved and sued until it became illegal to have these involuntary holds without a crime being committed. So that's where we're at. But the problem is there was no funding to replace it with something. And, and I think so, in America, we probably spend more on security than we do on the psychiatrists totally. and the and the uh, social workers. Totally. So. There's a really great book. I'm going to recommend a book now called Violence by James Gilligan. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've talked about Carol Gilligan in the Earthsea series. This is actually her husband, okay. James Gilligan. And he is a psychiatrist who worked in the, I think it was Massachusetts. It was one of those New England sure. states. Uh, worked in the Massachusetts uh, violent criminal division. You know, he was providing psychiatric care to violent, violent criminals. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a decade, he led the prison system to have zero murders zero in in prison murders wow because and he did it not through increased security but through increased psychiatry and increased right. approach to understanding these prisoners and treating them with a level of respect right right it's and it goes to well that would just open up this opens up a whole conversation about how we actually do ju criminal justice and mm -hmm penitent you know and all of that you know are are we actually rehabilitating people or are we just warehousing people but right right so interesting conversations to be had for sure bettina Indeed. w finishes off the email by saying also i'm not sure how i feel about this triple diagnosis it's possible for people to actually it's it's possible for people to actually suffer from all three but personally i have never seen it diagnosed like this sometimes over the years different psychiatrists would go with different diagnoses but all three still valid at the same time? That is a lot. Feels more like Lopez wanted to paint the worst mental health picture she could paint. I assure you, any one of these diagnoses would do the trick, but really wonderful acting from Aka Niviana. I don't know if that's the right way I'm saying it, and I apologize. Right. But uh, the actress who played Jules, right. And they the diagnosis was schizophrenia, bipolar, and and borderline personality. And yeah, that's, that's a lot. It's a, she just looked up the, you know, uh, ran her finger down the index in the DSM, uh, yeah, three yeah. R whatever version we're on now and, and yeah. picked out a, a bunch of them. So you ever see the TikToks that go, you're the kind of girl people write books about. And then the, you slide the picture and it shows the DSM. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I am not on TikTok. So no, I have not seen that one. Well, I'll be here to give you all the zoomer. You can humor. you can give me the funny stuff from the yeah. from the TikToks. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Bettina W. Good good yes. way to bring in a serious topic. I thought that was a good conversation. Bettina has been great about sending in uh, really good takes, and uh, just happy that uh, our lore masters. Uh, we have a, a really great 
interesting group of, of people. So it's, it's fun to, to get these perspectives and, yeah. and understandings. So, all right. Uh, speaking of somebody who uh, likes to send in their feedback and we love to get all chalant, uh, wrote me, wrote us in like several emails as they were doing a rewatch of episodes one through four. I, I would get these emails periodically going, okay, just finish this episode. Just finish this episode. Just finish this episode. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah, it. It's fun. I love Stream it. Stream of Perfect. consciousness feedback. And uh, I'll show send in some photos as well that I've got to be able to bundle up and put into the detective notebook as well. So I haven't got around to doing that yet. And uh, I, I'm, I'm actually... Uh, stressing a little bit because episode five is, is upon us. And I, I usually have a, a longer lead time, but there's, there weren't so many clues this episode. So yeah, it's not, not going to yeah. be too bad. It was more answers, uh, honestly, than clues. Indeed, which is nice. Uh, we should be being getting the payoffs mm-hmm. now. So uh, three main topics that all Shalant has for us, a kind of a miscellaneous with a couple things, some stuff about Hank, some stuff about the uh, pink jacket, and then a really funny tinfoil hat one about Rose. Uh, in the miscellaneous category, the Silver Sky Mining and Salal logos look very similar. Six-pointed stars. That's interesting. I had not looked at those two logos. That's a that's a good take. Again, just more internal consistency in the world just to make us feel mm-hmm. the connectivity. So very cool. Uh, but then goes on to say star-shaped wounds. Some people have been thinking that, well, oh, maybe NK was you know, mauled by a polar bear, by the polar bear or something. And um, uh, Al Shalant says, star-shaped wounds not consistent with bear mauling. Do yourself a favor and do not Google bear mauling. <laughs> Very yeah. emphatically. Don't do that. Agreed. Agreed. Any K had no torn, ripped flesh, only stabs and cuts. Maybe more traditional Anupiak hunting weapons like a spear, harpoon, etc. made of animal bone. We see animal bones in the trailer, in Clark's trailer. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's possible. And then I think Duve 71 had posted something, was it Duve in the discord and, uh, started looking at, um, uh, teeth of whales. Cause we have those whale bones in the ice mm-hmm. there. And so, you know, was, was that something, you know, some sort of weird creature thing? We don't know. I, yeah, I, I definitely am not, I'm on team polar bear is, uh, is a guardian spirit, not a, um, not a, uh, a bad guy, uh, spirit. So, uh, especially with, and I think if you listen to the official podcast, they talk a little bit about this where Navarro, we see in some of the dream sequences is doing this sort of peekaboo thing with her son, with Holden and covering one eye. And that is definitely in some of the dream sequences where, you know, he's yeah, got for a sure. one-eyed polar bear. Holden himself is covering her one eye or she's covering his one of his eyes. And then we have this one-eyed polar bear. So I think the polar bear is an extension of Holden's spirit into, into the world. So that's where I'm at. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Al Shalant continues with Hank Watch. This is a pretty few, huge Hank find on rewatch. So this is going back to episode one. Hank is rifling through Clark's room as soon as they get to the station. This is when Liz walks down the hallway as the voiceover explain, is explaining the jobs of each of the scientists. Can't t- uh, can tell it's Clark's room from the desk layout we see later when they are in his room searching for the pink parka. Hank already knows Clark and Annie were together from the hairdresser. 
which we got, you know, he got that call years ago and maybe checking to make sure that Clark doesn't have any evidence leading back to her. Mm. Do they come up empty handed later because any possible clues have already been removed by Hank? Well, I, I think the parka was already gone. Right. So that's the problem with that one. That, but but stuff, yeah, yeah, was there anything else? Yeah. Yeah. You know, were there little... pictures or anything? But I don't mm-hmm. know because we have the whole trailer with pictures too. Right. Right. I don't know. Maybe he was keeping it secret more. But I certainly uh, dig the idea that the first thing that Hank does is is finds Clark's room and starts, uh, you know, double checking, right? Trying to make sure that his yeah. tracks are covered. So that's a really good one. That's that's really subtle, too. That's really cool. I like that. Yeah. And now we Something... know Hank's fake faith. But uh, yeah, this is before the uh, Al Shalom got to watch the episode. Yeah, exactly. So. And something I think you only would pick up on a, on a rewatch. So that's cool as well. All right. Pink jacket. Uh, pretty sure that there's only one pink jacket, says Al Shalant. Annie Kay had, had a ripped jacket in her case files. Every time we see it after, it has a patch covering up the rip. I don't think the rip is from removing the patch. You put a patch on things to cover rips, Right. The episode one case photos that show the ta-da moment where Liz realizes it's the same jacket is shown side by side when Annie Kay was alive. Ripped equals before Clark and Salal photos equals patch after. This is Mm. before we know that Annie and Clark were lovers. And this is the first connection we find in the case in the cases since the tongue hasn't been tested yet. Interesting. I had it the other way around, and I think uh, Alshalant has a really good uh, take on this. That the the patch is added, and that's a, that would be a nice flip, a nice inversion. Yeah, into the law. I I think I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that this is the same jacket, and Al backs me up. <laughs> he does. He does. He does. Uh, and this means that Heiss got the jacket from Clark in the Night Country. Yes. Yeah, I think that's good. That's some good yeah, detective sense. work by Alshalant here. Makes sense. We should we should pair him up with Peter. They'll be unstoppable. That's right. <laughs> well, I don't know. After this last one, you may want to question Alshalant's uh, logic here a little bit. Mm. Put on your tinfoil hats because here it comes. Is Uh-oh. is Rose real? Okay. Are they sixth sensing us? Is Rose a ghost too? Evidence four. Navarro is the only person that talks to Rose. After getting off the chopper when discovering the corpsicle, Liz walks right past Rose like she doesn't exist. They show a short clip of the chopper scanning the tundra for the scientists before the call comes in for the bodies. It seems they would have found them. After Navarro speaks with Rose at the uh, tundra where the bodies are found, Rose leaves. Navarro takes a step, stumbles, and looks down, finding the folded clothes on the ground exactly where Rose was just standing. Evidence against, maybe. Peter Pryor does say Rose found it on the radio when calling in the bodies, but the radio call is interrupted by the static and the lights in the Salal flicker before he says this. Are they using the radio interference to tell us this part of the phone call wasn't real? Now, obviously, we know that this theory is it's got to be unfounded because Danvers, or sorry, Navarro tells Peter to go to, to take the bodies to Rose. And he knows mm-hmm. who Rose is, right? He doesn't go who the, right. who the heck is Rose, right? So, and and 
Well, I guess that still could be Rose's fake and just like a manifestation of Navarro's mind or or a ghost. Uh, if she's saving her from the water and it's really just Navarro doing it, but I don't know. Yeah, this no, I, I think. It, yeah, I, I think I think he, I think Alshalon is chasing Markley's here. So, but it's oh, great. Well. I love I love the evidence. I love the case. I love the theorem here. It's it's well, it's it's well documented. So good job. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks Alshalon. A lot of fun. Yeah, uh, looking forward to your final analysis when we get well. Especially, I want to definitely want to hear what you have to say after this episode, and then we'll yeah we'll see what we do after mm-hmm. episode six. Well, closing us out will be Lore Master Nancy M, who posted in the Discord. Thanks to season four, I decided to go back and binge seasons one to three. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, it's a lot. In season three, there's a scene when a person explains the meaning of the spiral symbol. This person says it's a code for pedophiles. So I went online and found an article about how there are different symbols representing that behavior. Uh, and so that's that's interesting. I know Nancy, I went into a little bit more detail We're we're going to leave that out of this part. But thank you, yeah. Nancy, M, for doing some research on that. And there's some actual. Uh, yeah, there's symbols, similar symbols um, uh, out there uh, that in that world. Finally. The orange or the color orange is very important to First Nations communities. And uh, Nancy M. Lim's lives in Canada. So that's what, uh, yeah, that's the chosen name for, for people in, in Canada, for, for indigenous communities. It's interesting to see the different names around the world. Mm-hmm. Finally, the orange, the color orange. Uh, so I've got the details on it below. But in the last few years, it has become more heartbreaking as the skeletons of children are being found on the grounds of former residential schools across Canada. A very, very, very sad period in Canadian history. In my own community, there are lots of homes flying orange flags. Yeah, that's been so sad to see that start to come out. It's really, really sad. And I'm, I'm glad that the government is trying to is it seems like the government's from an outsider's perspective. It seems like the government's trying to do something about it, you know, like make make reparations or something, but let's hope they do a lot. Orange Shirt Day was first established as an observance in 2013 uh, as part of an effort to promote awareness and education of the residential school system and its and the impact it has had on indigenous communities for over a century. The impact of the residential school system has been recognized as a cultural genocide. Mm-hmm. Yep. The use of an orange shirt as a symbol, was inspired by the accounts of Phyllis Jack Webstad, whose personal clothing, including a new orange shirt, was taken from her during her first day of residential schooling and never returned. The orange shirt is thus used as a symbol of the forced assimilation of indigenous children and uh, that the residential school system enforced. The day was elevated to a statutory holiday for federal workers and workers in federally regulated workplaces by the Parliament of Canada in 2021 and named National Day for Truth and Reconciliation in light of the claims of over 1,000 unmarked graves near former residential school sites. That's uh, that's shocking. That's, yeah. that's just a horrific number. And, you know, that's that's without even going into the U.S. Trail of Tears and everything yeah. else. That went We're around. at our own, our own, yeah. uh, the, the same thing happening down here as well. So. It was, probably... I mean, there were direct genocides in the yeah. U.S. Uh, of, yeah. of indigenous populations and not to mention the second class citizenship a lot of indigenous communities experienced for a very, very long time and continue to feel the effects of today. Yeah. So, so I'm glad that the show is bringing light to a lot of that. 
And we have, you know, we had Echo, which, you know, say what you want about the quality of it. The fact that, that it centers around uh, Native American communities, Killers of the Flower Moon. This feels like we're getting some some moving the, the, the camera's focus around a little bit and catching some different stories. Um, and, and that's good. I'm, I'm glad we're starting to open that space up a bit more. Right. Well, thanks, Nancy M. And thanks, everyone, for writing in. Again, send us an email. Go to the website. Look in the show notes if you can't remember what I'm saying. And everything <laughs> will be there for you. That's right. David, shall we wrap it up? Uh, we should. I think uh, if we uh, if you edit this right, this is going to be an under two hour podcast. So let's uh, yeah. <laughs> let's zoom yeah. through our outro and, and make let's sure do we, it. we bring it in. Uh, quickly about our Patreon, I mentioned before at the at the top. If you're new here, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for checking this out. If you signed up on the Patreon as a you know trial member or, or what have you, we really appreciate it. Um, it it's all of. Your effort. We do this as our side uh, hustle, and we have a number of co-hosts that we work with, and we have a number of, of different costs and things. And so all of that support makes sure that everybody gets to share and partake. And we also do this not at a loss. We may lose on our, well, I don't say it's a loss from our personal time. We do it as a hobby and a la labor of love, but it doesn't cost us uh, uh, real in, in terms of real money spent to, to keep all the lights on. So if you do decide to subscribe, we really appreciate it and know that that's where your uh, your resources are going to. Um, and again, consider uh, doing an annual membership. We give a nice discount on it. And for the price of less than a uh, Happy Meal, <laughs> like a Happy Meal is like $30 these days. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. you can support us for, for the year. And that's uh, great. And we've got a lot of good stuff coming on later on. We'll talk about our programming schedule in a minute. Um, and don't, and not to mention, we'll, we'll talk about it again another time, but we've got the second breakfast, which is our Patreon exclusive podcast that's coming up for February, as well as you get access to the show tracker, which will help you to bring some sanity into your viewing habits because there's just too much on television these days. Uh, John, you want to talk about the discord a little bit? Sure. You know, we've got our server boosters, Gnarls, Aaron K, Opus and the Machine and, and me. John Lorehound. I'm a server booster. <laughs> fun. Uh, we've got a really fun welcoming community. A lot of great chats happening. We just put a bot in there to uh, give give you the book description if you tag the bot, which is kind of fun. Yeah, because there's uh, a whole so, book channel. Book, yep, book conversation yep. We're, channel. we're chatting about books and so not just stuff that's on the podcast. Uh, a lot of good community. I'm, I'm really proud of the community we've built. So join us on there. Uh, we also have got some affiliate podcasts, but they're kind of quiet these days. I know Anthony's been busy in uh, with real uh, in real life stuff. And him and Steve have a podcast called Properly Howard Movie Review. They're uh, hilarious. Uh, Steve's a stand-up comic and Anthony is a uh, theologian. And they have a good time taking down old movies. And uh, so you go back, if you go into the show notes, again, there are links and you can find their feed and go back and listen to some of their episodes. The great thing about their uh, podcast is that you don't have to have seen the movie to enjoy and have a good time listening to their content. We also uh, work with Alicia, who has a, a feed, Wool Shift Dust, and she got started with the Wool Shift Dust uh, books that got turned into the silo television show. And, uh, I know she covered uh, beacon 23 and she's getting ready for Dune and three body problems. So definitely check out her, um, 
uh, feed uh, on the show notes. And then, of course, she's a co-host with us on the MC Universe podcast and then uh, all kinds of other things. And we're, we're trying to get some Oscar coverage uh, sorted out before the Oscars come up. And uh, so keep your ears out for that. Yeah. Oh, and we've got Marilyn, our favorite Tolkien scholar, but we can't talk about our podcast just yet. It's getting very two, exciting. I'm excited two to episodes finally recorded. hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Two in the yeah. can. All right. True Detective every week, as you know, you're here. We're every week. One, two, two more left. Yeah. One more after this. Yeah. We just did an interview with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Matt Cavanaugh. He was really brilliant. We talked to him about Rogue One and Star Wars in general as it relates to his military expertise. And uh, once I finally edit Rogue One, that'll be out too. So that that should be out <laughs> early in the week following this podcast. I think that'll okay. be good timing for that. Uh, so we'll have that. We'll have the second podcast on Rogue One. So plenty of Rogue One content. Uh, we just had a new Shireside chat, if you're oh, really just excited a, for that. Quick note too, the Rogue One is part of our ongoing Star Wars Film Festival series. So next up is going to be uh, A New Hope. Yep. Yep. That'll be fun. Uh, I just wanted to shout out my own podcast where I do my brief podcast on, you know, bite-sized pods for uh, Shireside Chats. I go through the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien one by one. So check that out. It's a Patreon exclusive as is Second Breakfast, where we talk about life, what we're watching off air, what we're reading, what we're playing. And we watch an old man movie. And this movie, what what one, David? I don't even it know. It looks like it's going to be The Black Hole, the, okay. the Disney uh, version of The Black Hole. That's the only version. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the year, if you'll give me a moment. That is 1979. Mm. Uh, very cool, creepy movie, but pretty awesome. It's winning by one vote. That's another thing patrons get to do is I get to vote on uh, what movie we cover for the mm. uh, po- the Second Breakfast podcast. Very right cool. now it is 27 votes and there's 22 hours left in the poll at the time of this recording. So you said we were going to fly through this outro and you're telling me the number of votes on this thing. Let's anyway, go. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, if you're into reading, we're doing uh, Silmarillion stories. We're going through the Silmarillion chapter by chapter at Nexus of Men. That'll be out soon. Uh, Dragonfly and the Other Wind as part of our Earthsea read through with Marilyn Arpaquila will be out later in the month. And uh, I just recorded Final Fantasy VII with Brandon. So that's finally wow. in the can. Amazing. We did it. We Amazing. did it. Uh, it was a fun podcast, so I hope people listen to that too. And so we got a lot of stuff coming this month, as well you gotta as watch other Mr. stuff that we're considering. You yeah. got to watch Mister and Mrs. Smith, man. It's hilarious. I know, it's but so I got to catch up on Halo. I got I got a lot of stuff going. <laughs> you got a right lot now, going man. on, and then we got, got Shogun. Shogun's yeah. getting good reviews. So mm. yeah. Mm. Anyway, interesting. They wouldn't give us screeners much. though, so I don't know. Too much TV. <laughs> Too much TV. Too much TV. But we're having fun doing it. David, give us a thank you for the Patreon lore masters. Samartian, Mark H, uh, Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter OH, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Duve 71, Brian 8063, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, Dally V21, Gnarls, and always last but never least, Adrian. Thank you all so very much for your support. We appreciate you all, everyone. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks, everyone. It's been a pleasure doing True Detective with you all. Looking forward to the finale and our wrap-up for now. 
We'll see you on the other side of the long night. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>